0: Hello, we're back with another episode of Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones. And uh, don't forget, if this is your first time listening to us, there are loads of other episodes that you can enjoy. Uh, We've got comedians, writers, presenters, loads there. Just listen on Spotify, Podbean and iTunes. You're probably listening on one of those at the moment. Now, I found that um, living in Oxford, uh, there are loads of fascinating people that come to the city. So it leads me very nicely to my next guest, who is Cassian Harrison, controller of BBC4. Uh, Cassian was in Oxford for the Literary Festival and he very kindly took some time out to talk to me in one of the Oxford colleges about his career. Cassian, it's lovely to meet you here in Oxford. You're here for the for the Literary Festival.
1: Oh, I am indeed. So Thank you for having me. Oh, that's yeah. not a
0: problem. Um, you're here to, to sort of talk about a new BBC4 show. So mm-hmm. when you have a new show that comes out... Is it like a, a, a new baby? It must be very exciting, but also a little bit nerve-wracking
1: too. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's um, it's it, it's a lovely thing to do insofar as um, we often have new shows. I mean, you know, the the, the, the task of running a television channel is uh, building a narrative and a story for the viewers and for the audience that they can come to across a year or across a series of years. Uh, and one of the lovely things, as I say, of, of, of the job is building that story and finding the right pieces, the right programmes, the right series, series uh, that feel that uh, they come together as a whole to give people a real sense of a BBC4 which they know and they understand and they enjoy and that they want to come and watch.
0: And are you constantly thinking when you're not at work, So you're watching television in the evening, can you switch off or do mm-hmm. you just think I actually don't want to watch any telly tonight because I've been thinking about it all
1: day? <laughs> um, I, I think a bit the latter actually. I, 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 the, 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 um, the, the truth of it is I'm afraid that in terms of my domestic consumption uh, quite a lot of it is driven by my wife's choices and quite a lot of it is driven <laughs> driven by, well, last week was spent watching all of Masterchef. There's a fair amount of Gardener's World. Uh, and there's a fair amount from the kids as well, of BBC Three, Glow Up, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera um, and Fleabag. And actually, I think that's brilliant because I think that the, the, the important thing that you're doing when you're, you know, trying to commission or think of what new television that you might want, might want to be making, you have to be really Catholic in your taste. You have to be really broad because if, you know, the programmes that I commission are just like the programmes that we commissioned last month or last year, then inevitably they'll start to become a bit dry, they'll become a bit repetitive. So actually I spend a lot of my time domestically trying to look at, read, consume stuff, which is almost nothing to do with BBC4. (laughs)
0: And and was it something that you've always wanted to do, work in television, and that's been that... From, from day one
1: y- yes-ish um, I think oddly um, at, at the very first of my teenage years I I, I, I was fascinated with music and sounds oddly doing this podcast mm. actually in my kind of early teenage years I wanted to be a record producer uh, I was obsessed with kind of you know 80s synth pop and the human <laughs> league and all the rest of it and there was a, a, a seminal producer called Martin Rushant, who basically knew how to wire lots of gadgets together in order to make you know rather good records and that was what I wanted to do uh, and then I I, I was corrupted, actually, by um. Uh, basically, at school, these, these, these casting agents turned up uh, who were casting for a drama, which was uh, actually going to be on the. Well, it went ended up going out on the second night ever of Channel Four, uh, and it was called Tang Yan Kipperbanks, a bit of a cult hit now. I think you can still find it on the internet. Anyway, it was a school. It was a teenage kind of teen romance drama set in the set in the war, and they were casting for the class of kids. So it wasn't the stars of the show, but nevertheless, the class of kids that would be that would fit throughout this drama and they turned up and for some reason they thought that um uh, i fitted the bill so i got to be one of the the, the kids doing this and then i spent this extraordinary two weeks in the summer of god knows when in the mid 80s (laughs) um uh, uh, being picked up from school in a rather nice minibus and taken to another school where they were filming it was glorious weather periodically you'd be ushered into a room to be filmed this classroom but most of the time there was a kind of 24 hour on standby catering truck which would just feed you bacon sandwiches as long as you wanted Ooh, you were corrupted you? I was and I got to just lie on the grass and eat myself silly and anyway and then behind the camera you know when you were hauled into this room for the bits of filming was this very cool man uh, who was in fact called, was Michael Apted who went on to become a kind of major Hollywood director and I kind of looked at him and I thought god he's cool I'd quite like to be him <laughs> uh, and so that was kind of where I decided that television or film at that point was the thing that I would really like to do but Um, obviously I didn't turn into a Hollywood director and I took a slightly different path but nonetheless I suppose to some extent at least I've managed to uh, uh, match or meet that childhood passion.
0: But also the childhood passion of the 80s synth music you've kind of cleverly brought that into bbc4 Ah, oh, well course.
1: yeah no indeed yes, <laughs> yes no we have a, 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 a friday night which is um dedicated to the the joys of 80s yeah. well, i occasionally allow other genres on very occasionally but yes no that's another aspect which is quite fun that's
0: fabulous isn't it yeah. so um can you just remind us what your first job was yeah, um, when you sort of started getting into it all, then when you thought, right, this is me, I'm going to get free food on tap all the time. Yeah, <laughs> which well, probably didn't quite work out. It like didn't that.
1: quite pan out like oh, that, man. no. And um, so I, um, uh, 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 I, I mean, I think the thing to remember that it is uh, uh, way back then, back in the back in the eighties and the nineties, and the thing was that actually making television or making film was an incredibly expensive business. Um, you know, the technology to do it, cameras, film stock, all the rest of it, cost an absolute fortune. Um, so unlike today where you can pick up an iPhone and you can have a 4K incredible camera just in your hand. Back then, actually making film or television was a really difficult thing to do. Um, So so I kind of took a weird path. I went to university, I went to Bristol um, and there I got quite involved in student drama. I did a lot of that, bits of Edinburgh, everything else like that. So that allowed me to kind of satiate my, you know, uh, uh, urge for directing, which was the other thing that I really wanted to do. Um, But still wasn't really any closer to um, uh, getting to television. I kind of graduated well I did graduate Mm -hmm. rather than kind of um Uh, and, and, and applied for the BBC traineeship for the assistant producers course and was summarily rejected without even an interview. So there you so go. how
0: did you feel about that? Were you uh, just
1: like, oh no, this, well, is, I, this is the end, I'm going to do something else? No, well I didn't really, no, I, I was kind of a bit irritated about it but it was, you know, and I think it remains hugely oversubscribed and again, I hopefully my story is testament to the fact that if you fail that doesn't mean that you have failed definitively, just find other ways to do it. Uh, and so in a kind of peculiar way, but basically I ended up, I was in Bristol, I'd graduated, I didn't really have a job, uh, I was spending, uh, uh, well, vaguely just hanging out with some friends and playing a lot of chess, I think, <laughs> was about all I could think of to do. I needed to work, and so I ended up getting a job in a warehouse on the outskirts of Bristol, packing Christmas baskets for the body shop, basically.
0: <laughs> I can picture those, I know exactly the well, you mean. Absolutely, yeah. so
1: yeah, happy days spent stuffing jubilee bath beads and white musk nipple cream <laughs> into say, little baskets. <laughs> (laughs) You know
0: all the flavours, the dewberry and the white musk. Oh, I know them all. I know
1: them all. Um, (laughs) Banana shampoo. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I can as well. (laughs) It gives me a shudder. Yeah, it's Um, very strong. uh, But anyway, but they had a newsletter. And in the newsletter, it turned out that actually, oddly, the body shop had set up a video production company, um, uh, which was making kind of corporate videos for for them and for other people. And they needed somebody to come and. um, Uh, Well, this is somewhat bizarre, but basically they decided that what they wanted to do was we were it was quite kind of forward thinking. They decided that they wanted to do a uh, video newsletter for all the body shops, Um, and what they basically needed, because back then there was no internet as it were, was they needed somebody who would go in every Thursday night and would take the master of this weekly newspaper and would copy 650 video cassettes, put them all into individually labelled jiffy bags, and then take them to the post office and post them. and so, yeah, so that was basically that my first was job is. as close to te- as television, which is basically, you know, being a, a duplication assistant in a corporate video company.
0: I love the fact that from Dewberry Body Wash, you get to become the controller <laughs> of BBC4. But there's quite a few hurdles before but you the, get there.
1: There's a bit of a trajectory, <laughs> but yeah. But anyway, they, they were lovely, the people that run it. In fact, they're still friends. Um, and, um, and they had an edit suite and they had all kinds of equipment. And, and I suppose the advantage of doing kind of corporate videos rather than broadcast television was that. You know, it was doing things like the safety video for British Airways, or kind of films for the post office on how to look after your van. <laughs> um But you, I taught myself to edit, so I was editing those. So that was good. And then they kind of decided that they would let me go and try and make a few of these things. And because they're like three minutes long, or five minutes long, or seven minutes long, actually, it wasn't too much risk to the people running the company. And I was really keen on doing it. And um, and i did pretty well at it well, and i did, did a good job, job. i learned on the job which is a terrific thing to do so yeah. you know again still having aspirations to do you know magnificent broadcast television but i would say if someone gives you the opportunity to make a video for the post office about vans grab it Just you know do. you don't know where it'll lead
0: yeah um, and where did that leave then
1: the body shop so what well, did that for a while and then it did get to a point where i was kind of thinking that you know in the end what I was doing I was doing things with the Royal Bank of Scotland etc and you do get to a point where you think I'm not sure how much longer I can make stuff mm-hmm. for um, uh, 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 people who are basically getting paid to watch what you're doing because that's <laughs> what's happening is people at work are being forced to watch this stuff um, I did get the which I still have the Bill Stewart Award for Outstanding Newcomer to Corporate Video so that still stays at home very that's happy with that Absolutely. but a BAFTA absolutely <laughs> um, but, 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 but the thing that was really useful about what I'd be able to learn was as well as doing the directing and making the videos, was this thing of learning to edit? And I always kind of recommend to people, as well as kind of if you do want to get into t- media or do, do that kind of thing get yourself a craft as much as a skill uh something that you can do that involves operating a piece of equipment be it camera be it editing or whatever uh, and i was able to use the editing basically i had a friend who worked at a, another documentary production company and they needed somebody who wanted needed a, they needed somebody to edit them a showreel so i went and edited them a showreel they were very happy with the showreel and then they had a documentary they had a documentary about jerusalem uh, for the Discovery Channel which I think four different production companies had tried to complete and had kind of failed (laughs) Uh, and the the guy ran the company thought well if he wants to edit let's get him to edit so I was shown into this room that basically all four walls were covered with videotape of all of these companies had filmed to try and make this documentary I said right there you go here's a room full of material and you've got three weeks to finish (laughs) this documentary Uh, that
0: might give some people a panic attack but you were just like I'm up for the challenge yeah
1: why not you know worth a go Um, and so I did So well I did I spent three weeks kind of going through the material and endeavouring to pull it together and then got to the bizarre conclusion that in fact or despite the fact that four different production companies had tried to film this piece and all the rest of it more still needed to be filmed in order to actually to give the film an end and things like that Um, and so um, I was able to convince the guy who ran the company who was very supportive to let me do some directing on that to finish it off and pulled it together by that point I was kind of directing it as well so um, uh, actually I got a friend or not a friend uh, uh, somebody who I never met before came in uh, uh, a young lady called Melanie came in to edit it with me uh, we did that, managed to finish it, um, and rather lovelily, it managed to get an Emmy for writing when I'd finished it. So and already
0: the... you've come a long way from the body shop, <laughs> Yeah, it, really.
1: yeah, no, 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 it, it, it was good. But it was a brilliant brief, and to be fair to all the people, and particularly a guy called Tim Lambert, uh, who'd done a lot of directing on the material, it was brilliant stuff to be working with. Um, but the other nice thing about it was that the young lady called Melanie I started to go, go out with and is now my wife.
0: Well, this so, this is all coming together very nicely well, isn't it you know you say no. it, it kind of went you should definitely not have got on that bbc training scheme no, because you well, know isn't well, it, it would funny? have been a different life it certainly would have been. isn't no. it funny how we have these moments yeah, and, yeah. and at the time you probably thought that's not great but actually mm. looking back you met your wife and you have got some brilliant experiences absolutely
1: as well. yeah no, indeed
0: so so you met your wife Yes. And, uh, and, and then. And we've got
1: an Emmy, so that was an nice. An <laughs> 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 Why
0: don't you just retire? I think that's oh, just No, no, the no, end. no, no,
1: there was more to do. But, but uh, with
0: getting an Emmy, because um, mm-hmm. I've spoken to other people who've, who've got awards, uh, yeah. so for instance, uh, actresses, and they've said, well, like, it doesn't actually open any doors. You know, they can actually go very quiet after that. You think, yeah. oh, this is going to be the yeah. beginning. Yeah. For you, was it like that?
1: Um, um, uh, Yes and no. Well, I I mean, I'd still only really done. That was the the kind of the first thing I'd really worked on. So the question was what to do next. And I think that I've always um, uh, been quite open to kind of left field opportunities or ideas or whatever. And so oddly, actually, via Mel, who I was then, who was then my girlfriend, she did a lot of current affairs editing. Um, and I met the, one of the companies that she worked with a lot, and a guy called David Henshaw, who still runs a, a brilliant current affairs company called Hard Cash Productions. Um, and they had um, uh, they, 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 they'd come. This was pooh, 1999 or whatever, and they'd come across some extraordinary footage of um, well, awful footage really in, uh, that had been smuggled out of Taliban Afghanistan uh, of uh, a woman being executed on Kabul football pitch and the stadium in the goal mouth. Um, and had um, and gone to Channel Four to Dorothy Byrne, who still again still runs Channel Four News and Current Affairs, and said, "Shall we try and make a film about this and what's going on in Taliban Afghanistan? Because yeah. it was completely closed to the outside mm. world, um, and 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 uh, for 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 some strange reason, as it were, he had the idea that um, uh, that actually to be fair I'd done another series by that point on Ancient Greece so I'd done a kind of very blue chip series for PBS and the BBC very uh, different, on the, from very what different yeah. yeah but I think David Henshaw and Dorothy as well kind of thought that it would be really interesting to get somebody who had this kind of quite blue chip history you know I was very kind of cinematic in the way that I directed and ask somebody like that to work on a current affairs film mm. and so it was a combination of myself uh, an amazing a cameraman called James Miller and a reporter called Cyrus Shah and basically the three of us were told right go into Taliban Afghanistan um, and see what you can come back with about what it's like there.
0: Is that terrifying?
1: um a bit yeah, yeah. um uh, yeah a bit and, and complicated as well because what you were endeavoring to do was make a documentary in a country that had banned all filmmaking mm-hmm. um, and also what we had to do because we couldn't get in there just clean we did have to get visas so we ended up in the hilariously archiving process of endeavoring to get visas to go and film in a country <laughs> where <laughs> all filming was banned <laughs> but somehow or other managed we managed it. to do it I think I ended up spending about three months sitting in a, in a hotel room in Peshawar going to the app because there were very few Afghan embassies, even then, going to the Afghan embassy every day to see if we could get this goddamn visa. Finally, it came through, uh, and we ended up um, uh, heading in finally to go and film in Afghanistan. We drove to Kandahar, uh, on, and I remember on the first day with all kinds of, you know, this again was kind of 2000 or whatever it was and, you know, technology again has transformed then. So we were trying to film with hidden cameras which were just hilariously rubbish and involved kind of handy cams in bags with holes cut in <laughs> the side which was kind of just so obvious. Anyway, so so within about half an hour of arriving in Kandahar we managed to get busted by the Taliban secret police for filming an onion cellar. <laughs> so that did uh, not last long, It's it? not good. Uh, so I kind of taken, we were, we were, we were summarily taken to the head of this kind of secret police headquarters, I was bundled out of the van as the producer and taken to a basement. And I have to say, the tragedy is how much the world has changed since then because there was still a kind of elegant balance of kind of respect amongst all parties then, which now would just be so dangerous. But they sat me down, they gave me a cup of tea, and they just said hand over the tapes. And in one pocket I had a blank tape that the cameraman had slipped me, and the other one had the rushes, and I thought, and I couldn't remember which pocket was which. Oh, no. So, but luckily I did the right pocket and gave them the blank one and they sent us on our way and they just said, go, look, bugger off out of town and go to Kabul. Car- the next place was Kabul, so we ended up going to Kabul. But weren't
0: you really worried that you had got the footage and that you were going to get discovered and you were going to, have got yeah. to have some sort of confidence and, uh, well, balls to kind of do You do, to do
1: I know, I know. I mean, I'm slightly looking back on it kind of a bit, kind of, you know, uh, 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 surprised by courage, but as I say, the world was a bit different then and there was a kind of, um, an accepted, grammar or dance about how journalists worked in, 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 in places like that. I mean, these you know, I, I, I'm not disputing, or I, there's no way around the fact that the Taliban were, and still are, an extraordinarily unpleasant, vicious, you know, and even psychotic regime, and they were doing appalling things, and, you know, and that is the fun, you know, the film we came back with is absolutely heartbreaking, mm-hmm. but somehow or other you just kind of need to find your own way through that, where you can keep and we were a very good team together, Syrah, James, and I. Um, and we all managed to reinforce and support each other to help us mm. get through it.
0: Yeah, maybe that's something that if you'd been completely on your own, mm. you wouldn't have done it. But yeah. the fact, like, it, you know, the work that you do is a lot of collaboration. Absolutely. You know? um, and that was probably the first real real experience of that for you and and that was Beneath the Veil wasn't yeah, it that yeah, was, yeah. So, so mm-hmm. that was so that was a big pivotal moment in your career because I suppose you came back yeah. and then a lot of people were talking about that yeah
1: well I mean I think that I, I, I think the other truth though was yes it, it, it was it, it did become an amazing success um, you know and it got the BAFTA and it got the RTS programme of the year and it got another Emmy and it got a Peabody um, and it was you know I remain really proud of it as a film and, and what we were all able to achieve with it um, but the other truth of it is, is that success in films or success in making anything is as much about the context in which it happens as what it is that you've done and the truth of it was was that in the time between when we came back with the material and we edited the film and when it basically went on air 9-11 happened uh, and and this was basically the only film, that, the only documentary that had been made inside Taliban Afghanistan, yeah. you know, in the period when Bin Laden and co were all hanging out there and prepping to do the 9/11 attacks. So, in the end, as as the as the only document of that world and what it was like, it became tremendously important. Mm. And you know, CNN picked it up, all the rest of it. So, but you, you went to
0: know that at the time. Absolutely,
1: that's my point: yeah. is that you can't. You know, success can come at you in unexpected directions, and, and you have to be grateful for when it does. You know, and also unpleasant and unfortunate and awful things can happen from unexpected directions Mm, so one can't feel that one is in control or that you can design a career Mm. I think the only thing that you can do as I say when I kind of thought okay well I will take this on as a current affairs film although I've got no experience making current affairs is if you're given an opportunity just grab it I think yeah be brave and it it, it paid
0: off and and you say you didn't have any experience in current affairs Mm. so Um, because you've worked in lots of different genres, because you've done a lot of history and factual. Is there a particular area you're more comfortable with? No,
1: I I, I, I actually, I I really love... Television per se, I think. I think all of it is is brilliant. You know, one of the nice things. You know, before I did BBC Four, I worked in BBC commissioning in what they call specialist factual, which is history and science and natural history, uh, and even business. I think came 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 under my chiefly. You know, but I was I was looking after programs that were for BBC Four, but also for BBC Two and BBC One. Um, and you know, and those are very different kinds of programs, but they are all equally valid. Um, and you know, and actually the the, the challenges and the aspects and and, and the opportunities that doing stuff for BBC One, where you're looking to talk to a real mass audience, Mm. you know, millions of people that you want to connect to, um, I think are tremendously exciting. And, you know, television is a mass medium. You do want to be able to communicate with and to connect with lots of people. Um, And I think it's just simply that that excites me, about how to craft and how to find subjects and then turn them into stories that people will enjoy and get get real pleasure from. Mm. Um, And and
0: you talk about um, working commissioning. Mm. Do you know immediately when you get something in front of you that that's, that's something, do you always have a great feeling about something or do you sometimes need a bit of persuasion?
1: <laughs> I think you can need a bit of persuasion. I think that, um, I, I think, again, it's exactly as you said, um, anything, the, the, the thing with making films or television, is it's never a solitary process. It's always about collaboration and it's always about working with people. You know, and I can read something and... Uh, you know a fair night of times you can just go no this isn't going to work but the reason that it isn't going to work is not necessarily because the idea itself is intrinsically bad it will be because we've done something similar to it before it will be because there's something similar going on it's because we've done a lot of that in particular areas so you know a significant amount of the kind of process of working out what it is that we might push forward in terms of wanting to make at the BBC or indeed in any broadcaster is about just what else we're doing mm. um, but I think that if you do see something that kind of tickles you as it were then the process that you go through is 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 one that involves lots of people you want to go back to the production company that proposing it and kind of ask them what it is they're thinking and help them to make it work better within the context of the bbc be it you know as i say in commissioning for a bbc one audience or a bbc two audience or for a bbc four audience and with a bbc four audience it's about okay how do we make it feel like it adds to and is a different note to and is complementary to everything else that we're doing
0: and when you worked at, uh, in commissioning, did you mm. miss that being on the front line Ooh. with a camera? i am often asked that, I'm yes. I'm sorry. No, 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 it, it's no, it's a really there, fair question.
1: It? No, I think I do still miss it. I mean, there is um, um, uh, there's a brilliant upside in making stuff and being out there and directing. There is also this bit, which is the truth of it, which is that, for me anyway... You know, I take 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 what I do whenever I do it very, very seriously. And directing is a, is, is a stressful thing because you're there on the day. There's a crew there. There's lots of people there. You've arranged for certain things to happen on that day. And you need to make sure that they happen. Well, it all so, costs money, doesn't it? It, it doesn't all costs matter. a lot. Of, and sometimes some of the things that I were doing, it was costing a hell of a lot of money. By the time you had three helicopters and everything else. And I think I just kind of, you know, when I moved into commissioning, it was just I kind of felt I wanted a break from, as I always say, standing in a field at five o'clock in the morning with a knot in my stomach about whether or not this is <laughs> going to work or not. Um, uh, because you
0: did, the, the when you say a helicopter, because you did, uh, wasn't it Britain from a, I Above? I did do, yeah, a big yeah. series called
1: Britain from Above. So which that's is all a,
0: dependent on weather and oh, absolutely oh my goodness, yeah goodness. I, no, I know, yeah, imagine. no,
1: exactly. They're all, you know, that was a big major BBC One production, again involving, you know, dozens if not hundreds of people in order to pull it off. Um, and, and, and you have, as you with your bit in the grand, you know, in the grand scheme, if you are directing something, you have a fair bit of responsibility to make sure that it goes well. And, you know, and it did, it was, Brilliant and together we managed to achieve a, a really brilliant series that I think you know still stands the test of time. Um but no, I think that um it's not that I think that I would never go back to making things or, or however, but I do also enjoy, and it's a different process, but it's it has enough similarities and a lot of similarities. This process of helping other people to come to and make their ideas as good as mm-hmm. they possibly can mm-hmm. be, I think is still a lovely and amazing and rewarding thing to do.
0: And when you were working in commissioning mm. did you then at some stage think I've got uh, did you have a plan did you think All I really want to do is run a television channel no, or is it something that no just sort of again happened? it was
1: yeah no I, it kind of slightly happened uh, <laughs> and I was slightly surprised and I was slightly surprised that people thought I could run a television channel I suppose <laughs>
0: well it's a big
1: job <laughs> yeah no it, it is absolutely no and I'm immensely grateful for having been given the opportunity no I, I would say that I've probably been um I probably should have Endeavoured to plan my career more than I have. Again, then if
0: you plan and it doesn't go to plan, it's not so good, is it?
1: I think that's possibly right. I think, as I say, I think it's about if an opportunity turns up, grab it as hard as you can if it feels like the right one. And 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 the BBC Four job was just simply, um, you know, a moment which was the the guy who had been doing it, Richard Klein, who'd been doing a brilliant job of it, um, wanted to move on and do something different, and so the vacancy appeared, and so I applied for it. I mean, I had been. You you know, I knew, I'd been doing a lot of work with Janice Hadlow, who'd ran BBC Two at that time. So I had a fairly good sense of, you know, what it was and how the channels worked and everything else like that. So I was in a good position to do it. But, you know, by the time that I'd applied and gone through all of the application process, I yes, I really, really <laughs> wanted the job. Uh, but there was no sense that I thought I would definitely get the job. So it was a wonderful thing to get at. Yeah. And people uh, like, I haven't
0: got a clue how... Mm. A day-to-day I mean no day obviously is the same but you've mm. got a team mm. you're not the only person working out who's got what's going to go on the not channel. at all no no, no. So it's a, a massive team effort and yeah. lots of meetings and yeah. uh, and uh, can you give us a sense of a sort of typical day if there was a typical day Yeah.
1: I mean I think that so, so there, are, there, there are kind of two bits of it which is one of which is the first of which is as it were Dealing with or working out what it is that we're going to commission and what we're going to um, uh, uh, what it is that we're going to put on the channel, and that is uh, really that's that's driven by the, the well the commissioners that you know the 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 people that I once was one. Mm. So uh, the BBC has commissioning teams for all of its different genres. So with BBC Four, there's a lot of music and a lot of arts and some specialist factual like science and history. And really, those teams, which are driven by their own heads of commissioning, what they all tend to do is that they'll um, have gathered ideas together and then every couple of weeks or so we have what's called a routine where they'll come in with a selection of ideas and we'll sit down and we'll talk them through about which we feel are right which we feel are definitely wrong which might need a bit more work and so that's the ongoing kind of as it were development process that we have to kind of get to things being commissioned and then the second part of it is then once once we've got the stuff which is how do we deploy it how do we play it out on the channel so where do we schedule it How do we schedule it so that it works against other channels, so that it keeps the BBC4 story running across the year? What is it that we're going to promote? Which things do we do trails for? How can we market things in order that audiences will find out about them? Uh, What are we going to do on social media? So As it were, the audience-facing bit of BBC4, how do we arrange that and how do we structure that so that it tells a really good story for the audiences?
0: I'm exhausted now. I don't, you, you don't realise there's so much uh, that's, well, that's going yeah, to it. You well,
1: know, no, it's but, it's but as you clever. say, subtle, there's a right? lot of people, yeah. you know, and 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 they're all really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's a privilege for me to be able to be not even in the middle of it, but just having that contribution to what they're all sure. doing.
0: And, and a lot of people love BBC Four. It's a, bit, mm-hmm. it's a bit like Radio Three. And if you fiddle with it in a bad way, mm-hmm. they're not going to. They're going to tell you about it. I imagine. Yeah. So. It's it's like having that something that's that's very special. And and I suppose the ethos of BBC four, if, if people don't know what it is, okay. it's it's a very sort of safe and and lovely place to sort of to, to be thinking, isn't it? Would you yeah. agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have a kind of the, the motto of it, which was, I think, the the motto almost, or its kind of slogan, as it were, which was which was kind of originally defined almost when it launched a long time ago. But I think still uh, holds incredibly true is that everybody needs a place to think, uh, and I think that's a lovely kind of tagline mm. for what BBC Four offers. Um, but um, you know, in terms of how we shape it and how we talk to the audiences it's really important for me that, that it should feel, although that's quite a distinct thing and quite a singular thing in the broadcasting landscape it's still really important to me and to everyone involved that it should talk to the broadest audience possible and I think one of the things that I'm proudest of in a way is that the what you might call the demographic split of the audience, i.e. how many posh people and how many <laughs> not so posh people are there hmm. watching the channel is exactly the same as BBC One so in technical parlance the abc1 c2d split is the same as bbc1 so what I, I i feel really proud of and proud of all the people that make the programs and commission the programs for the channel is that we find we find a way to do you know what can be quite intellectual subjects mm. in a way that anyone feels that they can come to it and they can enjoy something and they can get something from it and i think i think that's that's a that's a brilliantly BBC thing to be able to do.
0: And I think a great example of that is the Bros documentary. Oh, yes. But <laughs> I mean,
1: can you just tell us
0: how that came about? Because, I mean, everyone says it was a surprise hit of Christmas. But yeah. did you think... No, this is
1: gonna. This is gonna be quite big. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm really gratified it was. I mean, I loved it as a film. I mean, it's a very peculiar. It, it, it's it's a bit of a peculiar piece of television because <laughs> it's really not what you expect. Um, but um, I, I I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, obviously music is a big thing of BBC Four. Uh, we do it every Friday night and we look at all kinds of things. But this felt really singular because what it did, which very few music documentaries do, is that it kind of showed the reality of the Tensions and the personalities that that, that 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 can exist in the world of music, um, and that also how the pressures of it and the pressures of fame can 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 um, you know push people in extraordinary directions. And one of my all-time favourite music documentaries is a film about Metallica called Some Kind of Monster, which if anyone, no one's seen, I do recommend. It's like it's like the Bros documentary but with heavy metal, which is again another band kind of having a meltdown. Um, but again, it's kind of warts. And and all and you see everything and I think watching the Bros film was it's just simply that it opens with them screaming and tearing a strip out of each other and I watched that and I thought God we've got to put this on the telly it's just brilliant <laughs> um, but the truth of it is is that, um, uh, uh, that when it went out when we broadcast it it didn't get that much of an audience um, but I think almost for the first time for the BBC actually it ended up being a total and pure viral hit mm. which is that people just started to talk about it over Christmas over social media mm. and the audience on iPlayer just grew and grew and grew and grew and it did become this extraordinary phenomenon um, but I think what's absolutely lovely about it is that there's one moment in the film because they are they're, they're an extraordinary pair but they are absolutely I mean they're, they're kind of slightly mad as cats but they are also absolutely lovely with it and there's this bit where one of them I think it's Luton, plaintively campaigns that Britain has never to really taken us to its heart um, but the truth of it is is that post that documentary they really have become kind of national treasures yeah. To the extent that they came in for a meeting uh, with me just in January after the success, because you know even the BBC feels it should you know pony up for a cup of tea when someone makes something that good. <laughs> um, so it was. was I, I think we stretched as far as fruit and cake as well. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was just the reaction in the office was hilarious because there were just you know people crawling over desks to kind of touch <laughs> the hem of their clothes. Um, but um, uh, but 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 it was a, it was a terrific thing to see. And but the other the truth of it is is that one can design and attempt to kind of create and manage what you think will be a successful piece of television. But the old Hollywood adage that nobody knows anything mm. is, abso- is still true. Mm. You cannot predict or you cannot guarantee what will be a hit and what won't be. Um, and it's often... You know, and the truth of it, in terms of how we select and how we choose things, is, is you want to find things that are surprising. And the best things are when they're surprising to me as much as they are the audience. Listen,
0: it wasn't a surprise to me. As a mum of identical twins, I was like, oh, at
1: last, <laughs>
0: this is what this is what's living in my la- in my <laughs> house all the time. You know, the screaming fits, and then that suddenly we love each other a no, lot. Oh it's, it's well, a fasc- uh, well, no, I it's fasc- well,
1: I'm an only child, so I just <laughs> looked at it with the eye of an alien, just going, what is going on with these people? <laughs> and
0: it's been nominated for a Bafta as well. Yeah, it
1: been nominated for three BAFTAs Sorry, so please. yeah no, no 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 so also so the doc itself and then for camera work and for editing and I have to say it's a phenomenally edited film so fingers crossed that they'll do really well with yeah, it yeah
0: that's a, and that must be a really proud moment for you that you saw that from the beginning and, and not only you know it's a great thing that to be a part of but lots of people loved it too yeah, yeah. as part of your time um as the boss what else have you been really proud of because you the slow stuff
1: that's been going on yeah that's been well great. i mean the thing that i d- i mean but come back to that and that's been brilliant but the thing that i'm particularly proud of right now which um which i'll mention now because hopefully by the time this is out still be on iplayer Is just last week we did a series on the yorkshire ripper mm. uh called the yorkshire ripper files um and this has been uh, a, a, what it is is it's a kind of three-part deep dive into the um uh, the story of the investigation into peter sutcliffe um uh, and um The mode of it, well, as we know, there's an awful lot of kind of true crime stuff out there. Uh, There's an awful lot of it in this world, in the podcast world, and in fact, the grammar of doing these three-part deep dives into a particular subject, I kind of modelled on the success of podcasts. But I think what's phenomenally good about this is builds on a previous series we did on Ruth Ellis called the Ruth Ellis Files, is that. Um, it has a really singular and um, brilliant journalistic take it's owned, the storytelling is owned by a phenomenal filmmaker, Lisa, well, Lisa Williams, um, and what she does is, it, it's really an examination of how it is that culture itself in North Yorkshire or in Yorkshire in the late 70s actually enabled and facilitated Sutcliffe because of its own innate and kind of entrenched misogyny and its view of sex workers and almost the fact that these, these poor women, as it were, deserve to be victims Um, uh, and and, and so what it becomes is a terrain with which which we all think we're quite familiar with, Netflix have done a lot of it which is the kind of you know the true crime genre Mm -hmm. but it brings a subtlety and a depth and a level of journalistic investigation which I don't think I've seen anywhere else and then the other fabulous thing about it is that also the audiences have really responded to that, it's had a brilliant critical response, it's taking an area which you know people will be interested in but really giving it a very singular BBC4 lift in Mm -hmm. terms terms of the depth and detail which it goes into Um, and and it's just phenomenally rewarding to see you know brilliant work by brilliant filmmaker and a whole team working with her as well really get the uh, response that it has I'm so proud of it
0: that's amazing and and for you your job you're obviously I'm sure you're constantly learning new stuff because there's so much on the channel that is is well, it's just so much knowledge going on there, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, that. no,
1: no. Well, I mean, I think it goes back to, and I think, I think it might be kind of, you know, one of one of one of the the elements which hopefully makes me a good fit for running the channel and i think i've probably touched on a couple of times now is just curiosity i mean i love finding out more about more about more things uh, i think it's um uh, 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 brilliant to be able to find not just things and bits of knowledge to have but but to be able to find interesting and original ways to craft stories mm. around that mm. and I, as i say i think that yorkshire ripper piece does a brilliant job of doing that mm.
0: and, and with the going back to the slow programs mm. there going to be more of those
1: yeah i mean that was that that was a kind of uh, a, a novelty thing, as it were, uh, which which met with ex- again with extraordinary positive response. So, I think it started off with um, we decided to do a canal trip. Well, we did a week of slow programs. We had a canal trip and we had a dawn chorus, um, and we um, uh, we continue to do them. We, we 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 had one recently. Well, the interesting thing that's happened is that slow has kind of gone global. So other broadcasters have seen what Copying. we've done and uh, yeah, and a, emulating, paying homage. <laughs> (laughs) let's put it like that. Um, But but the Australians are are quite into it. And they did a brilliant thing, which was a kind of real-time... Well, it wasn't real-time, because I think the journey takes about two days, uh, but a train journey all the way across Australia. Uh, So we picked that up from them. We showed that, oh, God, not so long ago, about six months ago. That did phenomenally well. Uh, Somebody else I knew had basically filmed aerials all the way along the Great Wall of China. So we turned that into a wonderful kind of slow odyssey along the Great Wall of China. That did brilliantly. Um, Do you remember
0: when you had that meeting, that first idea? Was there a bit of sort of when somebody said it, everyone was like, oh?
1: Yeah it so- no well it would, yeah no it was a, a, a wonderful woman called Emma Willis I think who's the first uh, first person to suge- suggest it she'd worked in um, uh, BBC commissioning she now runs a production company called Twenty Twenty and I think really it was her who first came and kind of tugged me on the shoulder and kind of said slow and I must admit my reaction was you what <laughs> uh, but uh, but but Emma is a singular genius well. yeah, yeah she is a singular <laughs> genius and she managed to convince me that this was a good thing to do uh, and we built it out of that and it's been a rather it's become a rather lovely franchise which um, I am kind of you know surprised at but audiences still really respond to yeah. and really enjoy and it's um, it's an interesting thing how that kind of world of kind of kind of non-narrative, or it does have narrative, and we've made sure the slow pieces do have narrative, but it's just a very knocked back narrative, as it were. But that kind of world which doesn't follow the pace and grammar of conventional television has only emerged and become more and more popular. And when you look at YouTube and things like ASMR videos and kind of, you know, there's wonderful things of just the process of people making things. I'm I'm always really alive to that kind of Mm -hmm. interesting opportunity about how you can um, uh, shift and bust and push, push at the edges of the kind of conventional grammars of what television should be,
0: and, and as the boss, you have to be a real listener, don't you? And you say she was a singular genius, so you have to be really open to new ideas. Yeah, you particularly do. Particularly on BBC Four, I think. Yeah,
1: well, I think I think the um, uh, I think that's the job. Is that what you you know the the great opportunity of BBC Four, which is you know some people have said it's the best job in telly, and I don't necessarily disagree. Is that um, I have the space and the headroom to be pretty wildly experimental if I want to be, and that's you know, and that's what. You know, the Director General and Charlotte who runs the kind of television content division, that's what they, they really enjoy about what I do. So, you know, we might do slow television, I might do, you know, a bonkers thing with the BDC's research and development department where we decide to build an artificial intelligence and let that run the channel for a night. <laughs> Although, you know, the proviso with that one was to make sure and I told them in no uncertain terms to make sure that it didn't run it any better than I well, did. well yeah, that, uh, <laughs> there is a big problem with that. Isn't but actually there wasn't a challenge. It was always going to be a bit more rubbish. <laughs> But, uh, uh, but, but no, but the, 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 those opportunities to do, you know, and we've done other things, that brilliant series of monologues, which we did. We did recent ones with Lenny Henry around the Windrush. We did a brilliant series with Vicky Featherstone last summer around the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote. You know, finding really bold, new, interesting ways to work with really brilliant, creative partners that don't have to fall within the kind of standard grammar of what we think television mm. is. Mm. That's one of the brilliant opportunities at BBC4
0: so um, looking back (laughs) the the pivotal moments of how you got to all those things that you've been so proud of Mm. I mean the the Jubilee in the body shop uh, packing That's, but that was you know we laugh about it but that, that was a big sort of thing of stepping out on your own maybe out of a comfort, comfort zone and and learning on the job and then it yeah. sort of led to lots of what what, yeah. what, what for you would be the, the big sort of turning points that got you to where you are I th- now?
1: I, th- I think it is the bits where you kind of you slightly do step off the cliff edge mm-hmm. I think that um, and you don't quite know what you're going to encounter I mean I wouldn't say that going to go and work in a, in, 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 in a warehouse for the body shop on the outskirts of Britain, Bristol sounds like like it's stepping off a cliff edge but it was just that you know there is that liminal moment isn't there when you leave university and you suddenly think oh god I actually have to go and get a job Uh, and and, and actually I think it's quite easy to be kind of locked into end up being kind of locked into a bit of stasis about that because you know whatever I do next that will determine what I do for the rest of my life Um, but I think there was a bit of cliff edge which is in the end I'm not going to get too pious about this and I am just going to go and get some money uh, and do this and kind of you know Uh, 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 get to know Dewberry Bath Beads better than I ever thought I would but something came out of that by virtue of just stepping off that cliff I think you know agreeing to go to Afghanistan whilst not really knowing how to do current affairs just because I really wanted to go there and see what it was like I think that that was another one absolutely (laughs) handing over that tape or whichever and I think you know I think it's just a case I mean, I've done other bonkers things. Like, I was asked to go and develop virtual reality chariot rides in Palo Alto and Silicon Valley for six months with Sun Microsystems, which, again, I just went, yeah, all right, I'll go and do that.
0: (laughs) And how did that work out? Did they... they did work well?
1: No, I mean it was appalling. I okay. mean, but I mean this was again this was about twenty years ago. But I mean, it, I, I'm still quite proud that I was doing virtual reality twenty years ago. But no, it was absolutely dreadful and looked appalling. But nevertheless, it was just that thing of going and just going to a completely different culture uh, and just immersing yourself in it and just seeing what comes out of it. Yeah. I think that's really good.
0: I think what strikes me is, is with your career is yeah definitely going for it, being very brave, oh. but also. Having a real passion and absolutely loving what you do, because yeah. um, you know what you could have done when you left university is you could have said, "Well, okay, this isn't working out. and I'm going to go and work in a in a bank or something." Yeah. Um, yeah. And and it's it's having all those opportunities and and travelling as well and and meeting lots of different amazing creative people because yeah. it's a real collaborative job, which we've absolutely. talked on as well. If um you wanted to give any advice to anyone who wants to get into telly, what would you say? Go and do a job that might not necessarily the <laughs> that <laughs> might, might not fit the bill. Yeah.
1: No, I think that um. I think think it's two things. The first of which is um, feed your curiosity because television is a business that, that if one's involved within it and you want to build a career in it, it will always present you with new challenges or different things that you probably haven't encountered before um and, and 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 you want to be the kind of person that enjoys that and enjoys getting to grips with a situation that you haven't done before um, and 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 enjoys just the basic principle of finding out new things which i think is fundamentally the thing that drives me um, but i think the other thing which is useful which i do say to people starting out it goes back to this thing of the editing which is the um it's you know particularly in the early days of my career it was all very well and good to be good with you know writing a script or dealing with words or having some ideas but the thing that really stood me in good stead and who knows if it all goes wrong it may yet stand me in good stead again (laughs) in the future is that I do know how to sit down in front of an avid or a non-linear editing system and edit a programme and I think that you know that knowledge of how television comes together but also just having that simple skill which is hireable that hireable craft skill is just a really useful backstop as well yeah.
0: Yeah, no. Really, really good advice. And what should we all be watching on BBC Four in the next couple of months? What's Ooh, the big things to look out for? What's Probably coming up? Looking back on the, uh, uh, the so open?
1: we've got we've got a, uh, 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 a bit artsy, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. Kind of three part series on the life of Rembrandt, which just looks stunning and kind of brings Rembrandt to life in a way that um, I don't think he he has been before. And it's kind of ties into I think it's an anniversary. Lord knows which. I think the 500, <laughs> 300th anniversary was worth our death. Or something. Something. Yeah. Anyway, there's a reason for it, but it's also a really beautiful series of television. Um, Um, We've got a a couple of brilliant new um, uh, 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 Saturday Night Dramas, which I know that people really enjoy coming down the line. A nice bit of nice bit of more foreign detectiveness nurse. Sorry, sort of, sort
0: of with borgon Yeah, yeah, no, not borgon sure, I think right.
1: below the surface might be the next big one, which is really good, which is coming back. But that is brilliant. That's mm. really good. Um, uh, and what other joy bits Sorry, the oh, yeah, there's proms. There's wonderful young dancer of the year coming up. We've got a bit of a dance season going on at the moment with some fantastic um, uh, uh, performances from you know some of the greatest choreographers there are. That
0: sounds so much to look forward to, Cassie. It's been a pleasure talk to you and, and hear about all your career and, and your great advice as well thank you so
1: much thank you so much for having me
0: hope you enjoyed the dulcet tones of cassian and i know i always say this but if you could subscribe and rate and tell other people about the podcast that would really really help uh, you can follow us on twitter at where go right loads of news on there of upcoming guests uh, thanks to georgie who produced the pod this week uh, megan is looking i'm not joking here she's looking after three stallions in Colombia. <laughs> I'm not sure how things are going. Communication is a bit uh, on and off. But uh, Georgie is here in Oxford uh, and she's been brilliant looking after the podcast uh, while Megan's been away. But she's going travelling as well. What is it with people wanting to get away from me? Um, But thank you so much, Georgie. And we will see you next week.